Thank you for tuning into sermons from Liberty Baptist Church in Newport Beach, California. Our goal is to help you know God more and take the next step in your spiritual journey, no matter where you're at. If you have questions about God or about Liberty, you can connect with us at libertybaptistchurch.org. We pray that the Lord will use this message to be a help and encouragement in your life. Uh, tonight we're going to talk about, well in this first session we're going to talk about what does the Bible say about spending? This morning we talked about what does the Bible say about uh, giving? And so I mentioned this morning that we live in the time of greatest prosperity in history in the most prosperous country in the world. And if we're not careful, even though we have tremendous blessings, and I'm very thankful, but by the way, I'm, I'm glad I live in America. I'm glad that I live in this time frame. I, I wouldn't want it otherwise. But with that blessing comes, uh, it, it comes a danger with that because we live, in this, we live in this culture that is consumed with materialism. And if we don't guard our hearts, we can get swept up into that. Even as Christians, without realizing it, we can become very materialistic and very consumeristic. So remember that our, our value, our success in life, is not measured by our net worth. But we live in a society that often does value people based on what kind of car they drive or what neighborhood they live in or how much they make per year, what kind of school their kids go to. And we have to be careful as Christians to not fall for that trap, to fall for that lie, that that's what gives us worth in life. So how do we guard our hearts from materialism and living for money? I mean, is it wrong to spend money on things that we enjoy? Is it wrong to take a vacation or to drive a nice car or to have a nice home or to do these things? Well, no, I, I think we understand. We're not advocating that we all uh, sell all our possessions and live like monks in a cave somewhere. Nobody, nobody's saying that. But we have to also understand that while it's okay to enjoy some, 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 some nice things of this world and to have money, that's not necessarily wrong. We have to be very careful to guard our hearts from materialism. So let's start, number one tonight, uh, in your notes there, managing God's money. What does the Bible say about spending? Number one, the Bible says that debt is not a sin, but it is a burden. Debt is not a sin, but it is a burden. One of the greatest obstacles to uh, our finances in our society today is debt. It brings stress, it brings anxiety, it keeps us from using our time and our money towards things that are most important in life. So many American families today are, are being uh, uh, strangled by debt. They're up to their necks in debt and, it, and it's causing so much undue stress and anxiety and pressure and infighting and just a lack of peace. Uh, we mentioned yesterday in our, our Saturday sessions that consumer debt in America is over $14 trillion. When you add up all the mortgages and credit cards and student loans and car loans and all of it together, $14 trillion, an insane amount of money. But there would be some that would say, okay, Christians should not go into debt. You should never go into debt. And while I'm okay with you, if, if you personally say, I, Nate, I, I don't have any debt and I don't ever want to take on any debt, that's fine. But the Bible doesn't actually tell us that going into debt is wrong. It does not prohibit going into debt. And we need to look no farther than the Old Testament law because 
in uh, ancient Israel as God was setting up the rules by which they, they should, should live within their society, he gave rules about borrowing and lending. Did you know that? That God set up for the Israelites, these are, are uh, you can't exact un, unnecessary or undue interest. You can't, here are the people that should not be charged interest. Here's when loans should be forgiven. If, if borrowing money was a sin, God would not have told the Israelites how to go about borrowing and lending, okay, you understand? So, so there are times where it can be a wise, uh, I, I, would, I would submit that it would be a wise and good stewardship of God's resources to go into debt, all right? So I'm standing here tonight as somebody who has a mortgage, and I know many of you in the room, I'm sure, have a mortgage. That's debt, right? But we don't believe that's, that's bad stewardship or bad, bad money management. However, even though it's not a sin, it is a burden. And the Bible contains many warnings, several warnings about the dangers of debt. And so let's look at that tonight. What does the Bible say on this, this idea that debt is not a sin, but it is a burden? Let's look first of all at Proverbs chapter 22, and we'll start reading in verse 26. Proverbs 22, starting verse 26. The Bible says this, "'Be not thou one of them that strikes hands.'" or of them that are sureties for debts, if that was nothing to pay, why should he take away thy bed from under thee? So, so what, what, is, what is this verse saying? And actually, let me just take a moment here because we're gonna look at several different proverbs here tonight in this session, in the next session. And I wanna make something very clear to us tonight that the book of Proverbs is a book of principles, but not a book of promises. And, and there's a very key difference there. Uh, it's not a, a, a guarantee, it's not a promise that you do this and you are guaranteed this result. It's a principle that this action, this behavior, this, this thing, this, this attribute often leads to this result. So for instance, when the Bible says in Proverbs that you are to train up a child in the way he should go and he sh when he is old he shall not depart from it, that is not a promise. That is not saying if you as a parent raise your child a godly way, you're guaranteed that your kids will live for the Lord because all of us are individual agents that have free will and make our decisions on whether or not we're going to follow God or not. It's not a promise, but it's a principle that when you parent the right way and you teach your child the right way and you, you model a godly home, that that often leads to a result that your children will follow in those footsteps. When the Bible says in Proverbs that the eye that mocks his father, the ravens, shall pluck it out. That's not a promise, okay? There's, there's, otherwise, there'd be a lot of blind children running around, okay? You understand? It's a principle that, that when, when you're disrespectful towards authority, that often leads to a calamitous result. So when, when the Bible here says, uh, as we're reading these Proverbs, understand these are principles, okay? So I want to be very clear on that and give that, that sort of uh, uh, disclaimer. But in Proverbs chapter 26, verses, or 22, verses 26 and 27, what is the Bible telling us here? Be not one who strikes hands, who is sureties for, for, for debts. What is that talking about? Uh, in other words, uh, don't be somebody who guarantees a loan. If somebody's taking out a loan and they need somebody to, to guarantee that loan, the Bible's saying that's unwise to put yourself in that position. Today we would call that co-signing, because maybe you've heard of that before. And, and basically the idea is, oh, if that person doesn't pay back the debt, then you will be responsible. And, and that's not wise, the Bible says, because why would you want to put yourself in a position to reap the results of somebody else's bad behavior or misfortune? If they can't pay back the loan, then Proverbs says, then why should they take thy bed from under thee? Why, why would you put yourself in a position where all your stuff could be taken away because of what somebody else failed 
to do. So, so co-signing, guaranteeing debt. Be careful about that. Be wary about that. Let's look at Proverbs 22, verse 7. Just a few verses previous. The rich ruleth over the poor, and the borrower is servant to the lender. The rich ruleth over the poor, the borrower is servant to the lender. Borrowing creates an owner-slave relationship. Being in debt limits your freedom. You see, you're free to make all kinds of decisions about where to spend your money and what to buy and where it will go. But with debt, you have an obligation. You are not free. You are slave to that debt. So uh, I am free to buy uh, a Disney Plus so my kids can watch Winnie the Pooh and Mickey Mouse. And if I don't want to pay that next month, well, then there are no consequences. I just don't have Disney Plus, right? But can I do that same thing with my mortgage? Can I say, nah, I don't feel like paying that this month. Oh no, there will be repercussions. There, there will be a, a severe penalty for failing to, to pay my mortgage because why? It's an obligation. I am slave to that debt so long as there is a balance there. And so we have to be very careful about that, that when we enter into a debt arrangement, we then become slave and the borrower becomes the owner. And so it can be a burden. It's not something to be taken lightly. Let's look now at Psalm 37, verse 21. Psalm 37, 21. The Bible says this, the wicked borroweth and payeth not again but the righteous showeth mercy and giveth. See, see, to borrow and then to not pay back your loan, the Bible calls that wicked. To be somebody that would say, yes, I'm going to take out a loan, I'm going to borrow this money, but then I don't have an intention to pay this back, I'm going to purposely not pay back my loan, the Bible says that that's wrong, that, that's wicked. Uh, so when we take the, or we make the decision to, to take out a loan, to borrow money, then we need to be honest and we need to be forthright to say, I'm going to do everything in my power to make sure that I pay back this loan because I don't want to be wicked in God's eyes. And it would be unwise and it would be dishonest to borrow money that you don't reasonably believe you're going to be able to pay back. Now let's look at Ecclesiastes 5, verse 5. Again, all under this idea, debt is not a sin, but it is a burden. Ecclesiastes 5, 5 says this, Better is it that thou shouldest not vow than thou shouldest vow and not pay. And Solomon, by the way, is the writer of Ecclesiastes here. What, what is he saying? It would be better for you to not go into debt at all than for you to go into debt and to renege on that debt, to not be able to pay it back. It would be better to just not borrow at all. So in other words, if we're going to borrow, then we need to be fairly certain that we're gonna be able to pay that loan back. We don't wanna put ourselves in that position that we're not going to, to, to be able to make good on that loan. So anytime we're going to take out debt, anytime we're going to borrow, that needs to be met with very careful consideration. That's not a light decision. And I would say even, even prayer and godly advice, don't enter into debt lightly because we live in a society that wants to push us towards debt. Oh, listen, 0% down for 12 months. All right, you can afford it. It's only another $150 a month in your budget. We're constantly being pressured to go ahead and take on that. It's fine. It's okay. You can handle it. And we need to be very careful. It's not a sin, but it is a burden. Hey, there's a reason why 8 out of 10 people in America that regularly give to their church have no credit card debt. That's not an accident. It's because so many people 
who, who otherwise would give or would like to give are just not able to give because, again, they are up to their necks in payments and they don't have any money left over. Everything is going to just meet this obligation and meet this minimum payment and, and they have no freedom. They have no margin to be able to give. So, so how do we apply this? What are some ways that we can recognize this truth that debt's not a sin, but it is a burden? Well, first of all, if you have debt, if you have student loans and credit cards and car loans and all of these things, and it's, it's problematic, then there needs to be a plan in place. You can't be haphazard. You can't just hope that maybe here and there, uh, every now and then I'll pay a little bit extra. That's not going to do it. Uh, you're going to be in limbo for a long, long time before that debt ever goes away. So be purposeful, create a plan, start with your high interest debt, and then work your way down to the, the lower interest all the way down. Uh, don't keep a balance on your credit card. Okay, I know there's some folks that, that would say, don't have credit cards at all, cut them up. And that's fine if, if you don't want to have credit cards, but I believe a credit card is a tool just like uh, social media is, is a tool. Uh, it can be used very poorly if you don't know how to manage it well, but if you do manage it well, it can be a very useful tool. But either way, however you feel about credit cards, please don't keep a, a balance on your credit card. Pay it off at the end of each month and be, and be fastidious about that. Uh, don't co-sign for loans. Be very careful about guaranteeing somebody else's loan. And have an emergency fund in place. Have cash set aside so that when an emergency does happen, because it will happen, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when, then you're not having to take on debt when you're already in a really vulnerable state financially. So debt is not a sin, but it is a burden. Now, number two, we need to learn to value eternal riches over earthly riches. Value eternal riches over earthly riches. Let's look at Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12 and verse 15. Value eternal over earthly. In Luke chapter 12, we, we find Jesus speaking here. He says, and he said unto them, take heed and beware of covetousness for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of things, of the things which he possesseth. So Jesus is speaking here. He says, hey, hey be careful about covetousness. Be careful about materialism. Be careful about being, uh, a, a having a consumer mindset. Because a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of things which he possesseth. Your life's not about your stuff. That's not what gives you purpose or meaning in life. Then he goes on and, and he spake a parable unto them saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully, and he thought within himself saying, What shall I do because I have no room where to bestow my fruits? And he said, This will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods, and I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease. Eat, drink, and be merry. So, so what is this guy doing? He's had a successful business venture. He's had a great year. He says, I've got an idea. I'm going to tear down my barns. I'm going to build bigger barns. I'm going to have this huge warehouse. I'm going to make so much money. I'm going to be so profitable I'm going to be able to retire early. I will be able to kick back, eat, drink, be merry. This is going to be great. And, and if the story stopped right there and we put it in our modern context, if you were talking to the guy who, who just had the best year he's ever had, super successful, I'm going to make so much money, I'm literally going to retire early, we would say, that guy has got it together. He knows what, what, he, he knows what he's doing. This is somebody that I admire, 
But in God's eyes, notice what God says about this man. But God said unto him, thou fool. What? Fool? I mean, this guy is planning. He's saving. He's, he's being a savvy businessman. Why is he a fool? Well, here's why. This night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Why was this guy a fool? It's not because he saved or because he planned or because he, he made good business decisions. No, he was a fool because he had placed all his hope and all his trust in his money. He said, and you're going to die tonight. And then what good is it? Does it help you any iota? No, it, it doesn't. And all that stuff, all that planning, all that profit, all those barns, it's going to be somebody else's. And it will do you zero good. Watch out for covetousness in your own life. Your identity is not in your salary. It's not in your stuff. It's not in your net worth. It's not in your bank account or your retirement account. That's not what gives you meaning. That's not where your identity should be. Don't fall for the trap that happiness is found in a lifestyle or meeting a certain dollar amount. If you're not careful, you'll believe that once I get the promotion, once I retire, once I move into that neighborhood, once I'm able to buy that car, I'll be good and I'll be happy and I'll be content and I won't want anything else. No, you won't. That's not how it works. We're always going to want something. If, if our desire is towards money, there's always going to be something else we want, something else we think is going to make us happy, but it's not. Anybody who does not value earthly, or, or who values earthly riches over eternal riches, God calls them a fool. Now let's look at Matthew chapter 6. We looked at this passage this morning, Matthew chapter 6. The Sermon on the Mount, verse 19, Jesus here speaking says, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, where thieves break through and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through or steal. Why should we value eternal riches over earthly riches? A couple reasons. First of all, earthly riches are temporary. Can rust, they can decay, they can get stolen. Eternal riches are permanent. They're not going away. They're not fading away. Earthly riches bring happiness. When you have earthly riches, that brings you happiness for a season, for a short amount of time, but eternal riches are permanent. They, they, they give you true joy, not just a fleeting feeling. Earthly riches can be taken from you. You notice how fragile money is? how quickly it can be taken, how quickly things can change, how quickly your financial state can be altered. But in heaven, eternal riches are not that way. They are secure. I, I saw this video. Um, it was one of those ones that makes its rounds on social media, goes viral, and uh, the dad is, is filming his son. His son's sitting at the table, and he's got three cups upside down in front of him. And he picks up one of the cups, and he takes out a $5 bill, and he shows his son. He's like, all right, you find the money, you can keep the money. And he puts it underneath the cup and in front of him, and kind of like the three-card Monty, you know what I'm talking about? Like we, he, he shuffles it around, and the kids, you know, and the, the son's maybe like 11 or 12 years old, and he's watching it like really intently, and he's shuffling it, and he's, you know, it's not really like super fast. Like you can follow which cup it's under. You're just watching the video, and you're like, yeah, I know where that's at. And then he finishes shuffling, and he tells the son, all right, which cup do you want? 
And the son immediately points to the one that has $5, and he lifts it up. Sure enough, five bucks. And this kid gets this big grin across his face, like, oh, I got it, that was easy. But that grin doesn't last very long because then the dad takes the other two cups and lifts them up and there are wads of 50s and 100s under the other two cups and that kid's big grin turns into a, oh, like, it's just that moment of realization. And it was really funny and you can see why it's a video that would go viral. But, but to me, as I think about that video, in a way, that must be something like how God sees us. That here we are living for earthly riches and we're waving our $5 bill around like, isn't this great? This is so awesome. Look where I live. Look at this job. Look at how much money. Look at what I have in my account. Yeah, five bucks. Meanwhile, we are completely oblivious of the greater treasures that are just beyond our sight, right? And in God's eyes, it must look so foolish for us to be spending and worrying and stressing so much about our little earthly riches here when there are so many greater, more wonderful treasures uh, to, to be laid up in heaven. Let's look now at Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and verse 10. Ecclesiastes 5 verse 10. Again, this is Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, one of the wealthiest man who, men who ever lived. Notice what he has to say on this subject. He says, He that loveth silver shall not be satisfied with silver, nor he that loveth abundance with increase. This also is vanity. So as we've already said, no amount of money will ever truly satisfy you. Living for material wealth is a never-ending chase for satisfaction and for fulfillment. So Solomon wrote this verse. He knows what he's talking about. As you read Ecclesiastes, he talks about how as this wealthy man, he could have whatever he wanted, and he did. Whatever he put his mind to, whatever pleasure of this world he, he desired, he, he had it. And in the end, what does he say? It's all vanity. It's all empty. It's all hollow. None of it gives me the fulfillment and the satisfaction that I desire. And he says, he that loves silver is not going to be satisfied with silver. If you love money, no amount of money is ever going to be enough for you. And I know sitting here, and, and maybe you feel like, well, I'm not wealthy, so that's easy uh, for, for them to say, but if I had the money, I would be satisfied. No, you wouldn't. How many times do we have to hear it for it to ring true for us? Do you know who the, the, the wealthiest man in the world is today? Does anybody know the richest man in the world is today? Used to be Bill Gates for a long time, but it's not Bill Gates anymore. Does anybody know? Bezos, Jeff Bezos, the CEO of Amazon. Did you know last year in 2020, when Amazon stock really jumped up, at one point, uh, Jeff Bezos was worth $200 billion. $200 billion. Now today, he's only worth $190 billion, so the stock dropped a little bit. So I think we need to put him on the prayer list. Bezos is really going through a tough time right now. He lost $10 billion, by the way, folks. I mean, come on. Um, yeah, he's doing all right, right? $200 billion. Just to put that in, in perspective, if you make $50,000 a year, it would take you 4 million years to make $200 billion. It's just astronomical. And I don't know Jeff Bezos. I hope that his trust and faith is in the Lord. I, I, I don't believe that it is. I don't believe that he's a Christian. So if Jeff Bezos' life is all about money, then I can tell you tonight with certainty he is not satisfied. 
even with $190 billion. If he does not know Jesus as his savior, he sits in his palatial mansion and he has to wonder to himself sometimes, is this all there is? Money will always leave us empty and unsatisfied. People always talk about being in the rat race and that kind of assumes that there's like a winner of the rat race. So even if you're in the rat race, maybe you can win, but it's really not even a race at all. It's more like a rat treadmill that you're running in place and you're exhausting yourself and you get off the treadmill and you've gone nowhere. I mean, that is what living for money is like, that it's this, this never ending, uh, exhaustive pursuit of something that you will never ever be able to, to place your hands on. Don't value earthly riches over eternal riches. Now let's look at 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 10. Very famous passage, one that I'm sure you're all familiar with, or at least the first phrase. 1 Timothy 6, verse 10 says, For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. I remember one time I saw a bumper sticker that said, If money is the root of all evil, why are churches always begging for it? And it made me chuckle a little bit, but of course they really misquoted the verse. It's not money is the root of all evil, the love of money is the root of all evil. I mean, think about it. Think about how much wickedness, how many atrocities have been committed, and at the root was the love of money. Robbery, and murder, and slavery, and trafficking, and corruption, and all down the line. So much evil, all because the love of money. In, in law enforcement, in investigation, there's, there's a phrase, follow the money. When they're investigating a crime and trying to find motive, more times than not, you follow the money, you get your culprit, right? Because the love of money is the root of all evil. Learn from the many, many people that have walked down that road only to experience pain and disappointment. Can I say a word for, for, those, for, for the younger folks in the room, teens, even kids? When you think about, even college age, honestly, Everybody, I don't care what stage, this is applicable, okay? Don't make your life decisions about what you're gonna pursue because you wanna have money. That's a terrible, terrible thing to do. Now listen, if God has called you and equipped you and given you a passion to serve in, in, in the medical field or in law or in business and you have a job that pays you very well, great. Praise the Lord. Use that money wisely and be a good steward. But to set your sights and say, my purpose in life is to make lots of money, that is foolishness. That is going to set you up for disappointment every single time. So how do we value the eternal riches over the earthly? Well, we have to evaluate our spending in light of God's kingdom. Every purchase we make, we have to ask ourselves, is this a good investment? Okay. Sometimes it's okay to buy things here on earth, but what we have to do is spend in light of God's kingdom. What I would encourage you to do, anytime you're going to make a large purchase, whether it's a home or a car or an appliance, something, you know, I'm not talking about buying, buying gum at, at the convenience store, but when you're making a large purchase, don't make that uh, uh, quickly. Take 24 hours, take 72 hours, take some time before you commit. Be very careful about those decisions. Prioritize your giving over your wants. Make sure that your giving comes before your non-essential spending regularly confess to God your willingness to part with your money. I think there are, I think honestly there should be uh, pretty regular moments in our life when we 
confess to the Lord, Lord, it's not my money, it's yours. And just so you know, if you want me to do anything, if you want me to change my lifestyle, if you want me to, to move, if you want me to sell, I'm willing to if that's what you want. And, and similar to how Abraham was going to sacrifice Isaac on the altar, God never wanted Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. What he wanted to do is to see if Abraham had the faith and the willingness to do what God asked him. And I think in our lives, more times than not, when we say, God, here it all is, here's everything I own, I will get rid of all of it if that's what you want me to do, more times than not, God's gonna say, no, 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 it's all right, keep your stuff. I just wanna know that you're at least willing to do that for me. So number three now, this idea of what does the Bible have to say about our spending? Number three, organize organize your spending. Let's look at Proverbs 3, verse 9. Proverbs 3, 9. It says this, Honor the Lord with thy substance, with the first fruits of all thine increase. Honor God first. We talked about this in the, in the, the morning session, about how all throughout the Bible we see this principle of giving God what's first, giving God what's best. Make sure in your finances that you are prioritizing the Lord. Make giving the first line item in your budget, your tithe, your missions, building fund, however you delineate it, make it non-negotiable. Budget the rest of the month off of what is left over. Put God first and prioritize him in your spending. Now let's look at Luke chapter 14. Luke 14 and verse 28. This is an interesting passage. See, the context here of these verses is Jesus is telling the, the listeners that in order to follow him, there is a cost, a very deep cost. And they need to carefully consider whether they're willing to pay that cost to be his disciples. And he says, you need to be willing to sever family relationships. You need to be willing to, to even uh, go to the cross. You need to be willing to take up your cross to follow me. So it's, it's not an easy thing. If you want to be my follower, you want to be my disciple, you have to be willing to give up everything. And in that context, he gives an illustration, he gives an example. So in verse 28, Jesus says, For which of you, intending to build a tower, sitteth not down first, and counteth the cost, whether he have sufficient to finish it? Lest, haply, after he hath laid the foundation, and is not able to finish it, all that behold it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build, and was not able to finish. Jesus is saying, isn't it common sense, isn't it intuitive that if you're going to take on a business venture, if you're going to, say, build a tower, that there is some saving, there is some planning, there is some foresight that goes into that project? Otherwise, if you just rush into it and then you get halfway done and now you run out of money, what's everybody going to do? They're going to laugh at you. They're going to say, what an idiot. He started building a tower, couldn't finish it. What is that thing? It's half a tower that's, that's no good to anybody. And Jesus is saying... It's, it's common sense. It's, it's obvious that if you're going to do something big and important and worthwhile, that there's going to have to be some saving, some planning, some consideration before you do that thing. And, and oftentimes Jesus connected money to the deeper truths that he was trying to teach. And even though this is a passage about following Christ, an application can be from these verses that, listen, in our goals, in our spending, in our finances, it's common sense that we need to take some time to organize, to plan, and, and to prepare for the things that uh, we have in life. Otherwise, uh, it, it ends up being a, 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 pretty, um, a pretty sad result. You know, unfortunately, I feel like 
for, for a lot of us, we, we spend more time planning for our vacations than we do anything else in our financial life. If we're gonna take a vacation, all of a sudden we're like super planners, we're super organizers. Okay, here's our itinerary. We're flying out on this day, and we're gonna stay at this hotel, and on this day we're going to this restaurant, and then we're gonna go do this activity. And we're excited about it because it's gonna be fun, and we're gonna enjoy it, so we plan out our vacation. But, but what about our other important financial aspects? What about our budget? What about our short-term savings? What about our long-term savings? I, I think uh, to be wise and to be good stewards, it's going to require some organization. It's going to require some, some purposeful steps ahead of time. Let's look now at Proverbs 15, verse 22. Proverbs 15, verse 22. Without counsel, purposes are disappointed, but in the multitude of counselors, they are established. Without counselors, purposes are disappointed. Even the best of intentions oftentimes fall short because of lack of good counsel. So get good, godly advice. Get it from multiple sources. Have trusted sources. Even well-intentioned people fail financially because they did not get sound advice. So remember, debt is not a sin, but it is a burden. Be very careful about taking on debt. Don't enter into that lightly. It would be better for you to not go into debt than for you to go into debt and find yourself in a position where you cannot pay it back. Invest in eternal riches. Everything you have here on earth is going to decay, folks. It's going to go away. Somebody else is going to get it. I heard it said, oh, you need to fly first class, uh, otherwise your kids will. And people said that as kind of like a ha, 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 like spend your money now or else your, your stupid kids are going to have all your money and enjoy your inheritance. And, and, and I get that that's like, oh, that's funny, but, but that's not a good attitude to have in life that, oh, I just spend it so, so other people don't spend it. No, no, no. We, we, we recognize that our money is not our own, it's God's money, and that uh, one day when we're gone, everything that we have here on earth will be somebody else's. Somebody else will enjoy it. But what we send on ahead will never fade away. That will not be lost. So by faith, value eternal riches over earthly riches. And then lastly, organize your spending. Make giving a priority, uh, something, not something that you do when you have extra money. Make it, make it the first thing. Plan for your future. Get good advice. Remember, it all belongs to him. We are just the managers. Good stewardship doesn't happen on accident. So let's purpose in 2021 to take practical steps to honor God in our spending. Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.